U.S. Navy History arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and I am joined by the XO, the man with the ghost in his attic, Christoph. Hello, everyone. It's a, a benign ghost, very friendly. No worries. I am safe. I know that's what you're all concerned about. Good to reunite with all of you. So this is part two of our Halloween special. We're going to be talking about the naval bases and submarines and finishing it out. Uh, how does that sound to you? This sounds pretty good. I really enjoyed part one. And I just, it, it makes me want to take a tour of the U.S. and visit these places. I mean, I'm sure naval bases may be a little bit off limits for me, but it just sounds cool. You can visit. There are okay. tours. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's, there's always ways to be able to, to visit the, the public-facing areas. Ah, okay. Well, now my excuses are dissolving, so now I probably really have to commit now. Hmm. You do. Thanks, Dale. I mean, thanks, Dale. <laughs> All right, so are you ready to get underway? Oh, yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start in Pearl Harbor. We have to. So a little bit about the history of Pearl Harbor. Just a just a, a smattering of history. The naval base dates back to the 19th century when the U.S. military recognized its strategic importance as a natural harbor in the Central Pacific. In the late 1800s, the U.S. established a coaling and repair station at Pearl Harbor, which set the stage for its future use as a naval base. When the United States annexed Hawaii in 1898, it further solidified Pearl Harbor as a very, very important naval outpost, because it's right there between the U.S. and Europe. So in the early 20th century, Pearl Harbor went through a significant development when they constructed dry docks, fuel storage facilities, and, you know, the rest of the naval infrastructure. And this station made it a crucial hub for the U.S. Pacific Fleet and the key outpost in the Asia-Pacific region. So, you know what happened December 7th, 1931, correct? It's infamous, yes. For those that may not have studied that yet in school, this was a launched military strike on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese Imperial Navy. It was a very devastating attack, and it caused a significant amount of damage to the U.S. Pacific Fleet. It almost completely wiped out the fleet. Eight battleships were sunk and or damaged, which included the USS Arizona, which is still on the bottom and is a memorial now, which you can go see, Kristoff. Yeah, I actually would like to do that. I know that that ship went down with all hands on deck, and that's very tragic every time I think about it, and I think it's appropriate that they made a memorial for that. It wasn't exactly all hands, okay. but it was a significant portion of the so in total, over 2,400 Americans were killed and more than 1,100 were wounded in the attack. Now, what normal sources don't tell you is that there were quite a few civilian casualties as well. But this attack is what had the United States enter into World War II. And of course, this 
decision by the Japanese at this point in history, this was a profound decision that had a very profound impact on the course of the war. I was just thinking about kind of the buildup to this. I know there was a lot of a lot of isolationism given what happened in World War One. A lot of people were not wanting to get into World War Two at all. Uh, we yep. were willing to help and assist uh, England from a military material standpoint, but with no people. And this really swayed things. I mean, from a, a public perspective of what we should do. Yeah, you're exactly right. Up until World War II, the United States had a very, throughout the entire history, had a very isolationist attitude. And then, yeah, once World War II kicked off, we supplied supplies, ammunition to Britain and our other allies over there, including the Lend-Lease Program, which was our old boats that we sent over to the United Kingdom for their use in the war. And old boat is better than no boat. Right. Now, we did have personnel over in the United Kingdom. And there were volunteers from the United States Air Force, or at that time, the U U.S. Army Air Corps, that did fly sorties during World War II before the U.S. actually entered World War II. But they, right. they flew under the British military. So, right. so in the wake of the attack, the Pacific fleet actually recovered very quickly and rebuilt. We were back up to full strength within a year. That is incredible. That is the shipbuilding and motivation on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Was that a Kaiser Permanente? The, so here's what I know. Every time I hear somebody from California talk about their health system, it's usually related to Kaiser Permanente. That's, they're like a big hospital thing now. But originally, uh, they built ships. Like they built warships for World War II, and they were such a big complex that they needed their own on-site hospital because as you can imagine building ships can cause a lot of accidents yep. and so when the war wound down they just had this humongous health infrastructure and that's kind of the direction they went and i was like huh what a cool history Factory. i didn't know yeah so that's uh they were they were pumping out ships like crazy yeah many of the ships that were damaged and weren't sunk were repaired quickly and also a number of ships were refloated, repaired, and put back into service. Yes. And, of course, the naval base in Pearl was very heavily reinforced. And Pearl Harbor all kept serving throughout the war as a vital base for U.S. military operations throughout the war. Because it was sitting right there and it was a perfectly placed staging point for launching any action against any of the Pacific Islands on our island hopping campaign to the Japanese home islands. So post-World War II, Pearl Harbor continued to be a central naval base, and it played significant roles during the early years of the Cold War, because, you know, Russia is on that side of the water too. In 1947, the base was designed as a U.S. naval shipyard and it was and still is responsible for maintaining and repairing naval vessels in the Pacific Fleet. That's a, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about originally the heart of the Pacific Fleet just prior to World War II was in San Diego. 
And I can only imagine, like, if you had a damaged ship in the middle of the Pacific, either having to chug it to San Diego or the much closer Hawaii, it just seems like such a a clear choice what would be better. And I'm glad they built that installation up. Yeah, make a much shorter trip to Pearl than it would be to San Diego. Especially if, you know, you're near some of the islands in the, in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And you're going at half speed because your engine is a little bit shot. I, anyway, yes. Lucky if you're going half speed. You might even be under tow. Oh, being towed to San Diego sounds like a, sounds like a long trip. For both the towee and the tower. <laughs> right. Hopefully the tower gets paid by the hour. There, it's it's going to be a military vessel, too. So. No, never mind. Yeah, for duty, honor, and country. And $2 a day. Nice. So in 1962, the USS, the USS Arizona Memorial was dedicated to serve as a lasting tribute to the memory of those who lost their lives during the attack on Pearl Harbor. And visitors today can take a ferry to the memorial, which is piloted by the United States Navy. And the memorial spans the sunken battleship USS Arizona to serve as a symbol of remembrance and reconciliation. So you will be able to stand over the USS Arizona. So I have to imagine that's got to be haunted, right? That's So when you're standing over the USS Arizona, a lot of the visitors have reported feeling a strong and somber presence while on the memorial. Whether that's just the emotional impact you know, we can't really say, but I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. There have been descriptions of people hearing whispered voices, footsteps, and the sounds of taps being played on the bugle. No kidding. Yeah. These experiences help contribute to a sense that the spirits of those who perished during the attack still watch over the USS Arizona. There is another memorial out there for the USS Utah as well. This was a battleship that was sank during the attack, and it has its own memorial. Some visitors have reported feeling a chilling presence on that memorial as well, especially near the breakage of the ship. There have also reported apparitions of sailors in World War II uniforms and they are also reporting the standard temperature drops and unexplained sounds. Yikes. <laughs> that's, that's creepy. And it also reinforces my previous statement in the last episode about being finely dressed so that if in the event you come back to linger in some physical location as a spirit, you'll be, you know, you'll represent yourself well. You don't want to be some slob that's just floating around that is why dear audience that Kristoff always dresses to the nines oh that's right this is an audio medium they can't see me yes absolutely tuxedo today complete with tails mm-hmm. now survivors of the attack on pearl harbor have occasionally shared their experiences as well they've reported hearing whispered conversations and voices when no one else has been around and they have attributed these whispers to the spirits of their fellow service members who perished during the attack. 
the Pearl Harbor Visitor Center is also reported to be touched by the spirits. I knew it. The center provides information about the attack and the history of the harbor. And some visitors have claimed to experience unusual cold spots and unexplained sounds while exploring the exhibits and learning about the history. And the visitor center is absolutely wonderful experience. There are lots of exhibits. There are artifacts from that time period. So if you have a chance, go go see it. There's there's even a a new exhibit for a virtual reality. No kidding. Yes. I I experienced that the last time I went. Nice. I'm glad to see they're they're investing in that. You know what I mean? They are. So in addition to the memorials, there are witnesses of reported phenomena while on the waters of Pearl Harbor. There are reports of ghostly ships and unusual lights. That's... I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo as a kid. However, the whispers... That's a, that's a whole nother level. So there is this one story that after the attack, one of the boats that had capsized, there was knocking on the hull of survivors. And so they posted a watch on the shore to keep listening for it and to try to, you know, there's people there. We need to make sure that we're, we're able to be there. And of course, because of the chaos and the total amount of casualties and damaged ships, you can't get to everybody at the same time. Unfortunately, by the time they were able to get there, the guys inside that hall had passed away. Apparently, to this day, if you stand at the spot where the watchstander was, you can still hear those knocking. That's chilling. So just to finish up with Pearl Harbor, you know, all these encounters are not specifically negative. The encounters often create a sense of reverence and remembrance because this site is a place of reflection and it honors the memory of those who perished during the attack. It allows the visitors to be acutely aware of the sacrifices made by their service members and the civilians who were there on that day. It also has a special connection to the survivors who visit Pearl Harbor to pay their respects and connect with the past. And for them, the site is not just a historical location like it is for our generation and those that come after us. It is a place of deep personal significance. And the ghostly encounters can be emotionally stirring to these heroes because they evoke memories of the loved ones and the camaraderie of service. And as a matter of fact, a lot of these people find solace in visiting these memorials, which means that the encounters are not fear-inducing. They actually provide a sense of closure and connection to those friends and shipmates that were lost. I think that is super important. There is something very significant about remembrance and taking the time to just remember what happened, remember who was there, how, how they met their end and why. Just, I'm glad these memorials exist. 
Yeah, they foster an understanding and empathy among the visitors who who go and visit these places because this was a terrible thing that happened that hopefully they will never experience anything like that. So they help individuals connect on a personal level with the history and the people who were there. And yeah. it and it also creates a deeper appreciation for the significance of the site itself. Yeah, I think it really brings a lot of life to what happened outside of, like if you read it in a book, that's one thing, and you can know the facts of the attack on Pearl Harbor, for example, or what the Japanese did or where the ships were. But when you're at the memorial, you see names associated with who was affected. And I think, man, that, that always gets me. The, at the, the Arizona Memorial specifically, there is, if when you get, when you board the memorial, when you go, if you go all the way to the rear, there is the entire wall is covered in those names. Whoa. Top to bottom, left to right, port to starboard. I will have to see that when I go. So let's move on to the East Coast at Norfolk Naval Shipyard. This is in Portsmouth. I have been there twice undergoing shipyard evolutions. <laughs> This was established in 1767, and Whoa. since then it has played a crucial role in the construction, repair, maintenance of U.S. Navy vessels. It's older than the U.S. Navy. Yeah. It was originally founded as the Ghost Sports Shipyard in 1767 by the British Royal Navy. Ah. During the Revolutionary War, it was destroyed by the British to prevent it falling into the hands of the American rebels. Was that and via arson by any chance? Drink. You're right. In 1794, the U.S. Navy took control of the shipyard, renaming it Norfolk Naval Shipyard. And it's been that ever since. So over its long history, it has made significant contributions to national defense. For instance, during the War of 1812, it was instrumental in building and repairing ships for that war. Nice. And in World War I, World War II, in addition to repairing and maintaining ships, it also modernized the ships that were coming in. Every time a ship came in during World War II to be repaired, it was also modernized. Because, you, as you know, war has the unattended effect of technological uh, advancement technological advancement exactly. yeah for sure so when the a ship leaves is damaged and comes back there's already been technological advancements to be installed that's cool i know that there's a bridge i i would travel there often i had family there or have family there and there's a bridge over the york river right by that naval yard that opens in the most interesting way to allow tall ships to pass through and there are these like the middle of the bridge has two connection points down and it pivots out so the the road itself rotates 90 degrees so that's it's in line with the river mm -hmm. and the ships are able to pass through and it i've seen it once and it's a really glorious sight well like the ship passing through yeah well i mean you are having giant naval vessels having to come through that area 
Oh, yeah. So it's cheaper to segment it that way to turn the entire row than it is to raise the entire road because... Absolutely. If you've ever seen an aircraft carrier, mm -hmm. they're very tall. Yes. So, of course, they might have just... Maybe they should have just did... Uh, they did further into the harbor, just created a tunnel. Yeah. Like the, the, like the tunnel that connects Norfolk to the Portsmouth area. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, I've been in that tunnel, too. All righty. So the dry dock facilities are actually among the largest in the United States. So they are able to service some of the largest and more most complex vessels in the fleet. Like an aircraft carrier? Oh, yeah. Taking one of those out of the water? Monstrous feat. I can't imagine. The shipyard has also made significant contributions to the submarine program. It's been involved in the construction, maintenance, and overhaul of submarines, which include the Virginia-class submarine, which is an integral part of the fleet. They are also involved in innovation. They have research and development areas. They have green technologies areas, sustainable practices. Hmm. So they really have a huge role in ensuring, you know, readiness and sustainability for our fleet. Nice. That's cool. The shipyard also has a substantial economic impact on that oh, area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think three-fourths of the people I knew up there worked at that shipyard. Yeah. It, they employ a huge amount of skilled professionals like engineers technicians and a number of different support staffs the pier that we were at when we were in the shipyard there was a restaurant at the end of the pier oh yeah yeah nice was the seafood fresh who said it was seafood it's at the end of a pier it's i don't know it seems it seems like an odd place for uh what would be an odd restaurant for an end of a pier Barbecue joint? I don't know. Yeah, it, was, it was burgers and fries. Okay, well. When we were at the, when we were not in the yards and we were at the pier in the Navy, Naval Station across the bay, there was a McDonald's at the end of the pier. No joke. Nope. Okay. Not at all. So let's get into some of the spooky stuff. Oh, yeah. If it's been around since, what, 1767, you say? It's got to have yeah. some stories. So. Some workers have reported encountering a spectral figure who appears to be a foreman. He is described as a man in old-fashioned attire, often seen overseeing various work in areas of the shipyard. And when workers approach the foreman to ask questions or to report an issue, he just vanishes without saying anything. So he's not a micromanager. I can appreciate that. No, when he has somebody come up to ask him a question, he's like, nope, I'm out. No, nope. hey, this is up to you, man. You got it. I will watch to make sure you're doing the right job, though. Can you imagine, at your job now, if you had somebody just watching you, but you could not approach them? That's, I mean, a, a ghost, I mean, specifically, not like a remote overseer. Yeah. Well, what... You know what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. Now. 
So that would, that be, would weird. be really weird having a ghost <laughs> in my passenger seat. Yes, it would be. But I mean, <laughs> any profession, like even if you're a roughneck on a oil rig or a pilot or something, insurance salesman, even there's a dude sitting over there in your office, like, are you processing those claims right? What's going on? And I don't know. That would freak me out. Well, let's put that to the test. Let's hire somebody to be a ghost during a recording. We'll have them standing right over your left shoulder the entire time. Okay. And we'll see if that creeps you out. Okay. I I think it will. I think living or dead, I'd be creeped out if they were just standing there just observing. But more so if they were not alive. Yeah. There have also been unexplained sounds. At the shipyard. I mean, the shipyard's a noisy place in the first place. But when you, there's a banging sound that's coming from a place that there's no banging happen, uh, workers and visitors have reported hearing footsteps, voices, clanging metal. But whether, you know, it's just sound carrying because the place is huge, or if it's an actual ghost, it just, you know, it doesn't help the atmosphere at all. Oh, yeah. Not that mm. clanging metal, especially that just seems ominous. Yeah. Several people have reported seeing apparitions of sailors dressed in older naval uniforms. These figures are often seen walking along the docks or near ships in dry docks. While nobody knows who these guys are, they speculate that these could be spirits of past naval personnel who served at the shipyard. Now the shipyard also receives decommissioned vessels for dismantling and recycling a lot of times. Okay. So workers aboard these ships have recounted encounters. They've seen tools moving on their own. They've heard whispering in empty compartments. And they feel cold spots in areas that, you know, should be warm. There's like a roaring fire in the fireplace right there. It should be warm in here. Yeah. Dude, that's... Mm. That's really creepy. <laughs> Especially you mess with a man's tools. Guess, why would you do that? Yeah. Many workers have reported feeling as if they're being watched. This sensation is often accompanied by a feeling of unease. And it's really difficult to try to explain these away. Yeah, for sure. I wonder, I wonder how long that's been happening. You know what I mean? Because modern times I can see, but has this been happening for 100 years or 50 years? Or it's it just, I don't know. That's weird to think well, about. Well, if we can get an accurate report of the uniform era. Yeah. We could have, we could narrow that down a little bit more. Hmm. I should dress not in a tuxedo with tails then because that's not, that's not characteristic of this time frame. And so that could be any time. I'll, yeah, have to, I'll have to dress modern. They'll, they'll expect you to be a, a ghost from the 1920s when everybody right. wore tuxedos. <laughs> it's, that's right. Nobody wore tuxedos in the late 20, early 21st century. This It's much older. Now, some people have experienced malfunctions in their electronic equipment as well, like their radios and their navigation systems in the, in the area of certain ships and or dry docks so the so you know the history of this facility 
you know, stretches all the way back to the 18th century. It has had a crucial role in, you know, naval operations ever since. So because of its long past and because of the countless naval personnel, ships, and everything that has come through there, and I'm sure hundreds if not thousands of deaths on the site itself, all of this, you know, creates a very rich backdrop for apparitions and phenomena, or at least the stories. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, even if you're a sailor injured and you're on the vessel and then the vessel comes to port for repair or whatever and you die in port, that's just more, I guess, spiritual energy in that place. Right. But it is also a very stressful environment as well. So because of the high demand of repairing, building, you know, all the work that's going on, the maintenance, the repair, this atmosphere and the pressure that these guys are under might have a little bit to do with, you know, the sightings. Oh, I see. Like, uh, they're already stressed out and fatigued and they may see or hear something that's a little bit weird or did I put my wrench there? Or did I put my wrench there? Or, exactly. Because, you know, those guys are doing 12-hour shifts. The shipyard never sleeps. Yeah, that would be pretty rough. So that, you know, could be an explanation, but, you know. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Are guys in the Navy pranksters? Yeah. Hmm. That could contribute some things as well, I imagine. Maybe. Here's the thing, though. Every industry has the pranksters. Well, that's true. They are, there are greater concentrations in some industries, I would say. Yeah, but yes, everybody has to do something to try to, you know, make Lighten the, the day go more interesting. That's to... what I keep telling my boss, but... It's like, oh my lord, this is the... 100,000 rivet I've had to put in today. <laughs> huh. Ooh, my buddy right next to me, let's put a match in their boot and light it on fire. Make yeah. it more interesting. That's right. All right, so let's travel to the West Coast, to San Diego. Eagle. To San Diego, the uh, naval base in San Diego specifically. It is a very vital and very busy naval base. There are, of course, a lot of spooky stuff that happens there as well. For instance, the haunting of the USS Recruit. The USS Recruit is a landlocked training ship located at the base, and it has a few ghostly tales of its own. It is not a functional ship, but it's pretty much just a concrete structure resemble, built to resemble a battleship. Okay. But even though nothing on there works, there are visitors who have reported hearing the sounds of ghostly sailors marching, phantom footsteps, and even whispered voices on the quote-unquote ship. Hmm. Do sailors march? I know yes. army marches. Okay. That's just not something I've heard very much of. Thanks for clearing that up. Yes, in any military service, you are marching. 
I see. There's less marching after basic training and you're actually, you know, at your assigned posting. Right. But they're still marching. Okay. Yes, obviously I have not been in the military myself. Now, there are some accounts from personnel that involve a ghostly figure of a gunner who is said to have met a tragic end during a munitions accident. He is described as appearing in old-style naval attire, and some people have claimed that they heard the ghost whistling while walking to the docks. That's more specific than whispering, because whispering you can't necessarily make out, but whistling is, you can hear the tune. Yes. Now, there have been reports of unexplained noises such as footsteps, slamming doors, chains clanking, and just various parts of the base. There are reports of shadows moving in empty rooms and passageways have also been mentioned with the shadows. Welcome to this atmosphere. Yeah, this is... Mm, I would not want to spend the night there. Yeah. Lots of people do. Yeah, I, well, they have to, yeah. So, you know, since the basis history goes back to the early, early 20th century, it has seen a lot of people coming through there. So, of course, lots of accidents, lots of deaths. So all of that... You know, and because of the crucial role that that base has played, this, you know, adds to the the context for having all these eerie stories. Golly, that's yes, I can definitely see that. And the the this number of people that cycle through there is significant, as well as the people like you say that die there. That's yes, okay. I'm a little bit more creeped out this episode than I was last episode. Well, you want to hear about the haunting of Building 8 then? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> That's why I'm here. So Building 8 at the Naval Station has a lot of reported paranormal activity. This, they have people claiming of hearing the footsteps and all of a sudden a voice saying something in their ear. And when they look by, there's nobody there. There's nobody in the hallway at all. They describe that doors will open and slam shut on their own, and the lights will flicker on and off. Is this everywhere in Building 8 or specific places? Doesn't matter. I will avoid Building 8. <laughs> Wholesale. So then there's the ghost of Hosley Road. This is a major road through the base, and it is rumored to be haunted. People have reported seeing a ghostly figure of a man in World War II era attire, and they see him walking along the road. And then when, you know, they approach them, he just disappears. Yeah, I can see that. That's. I wonder if to him, we're the weirdos, like the ghosts or whatever, and that's him running away like, oh, it's those newfangled clothing adorned people coming toward me. I'm out of here. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe he thinks that we're, you know, the enemy coming for him. Mm, that's true. I guess I sure. shouldn't wear my Imperial Japanese uniform either. 
No, that would be bad in going for a World War II ghost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no tuxedo, no Imperial Japanese uniform. You're really limiting my wardrobe, Dale. Well, I mean, I'm sure we would love to see you in it. Oh, imagine. Imagine I die in the Japanese uniform. People would be so confused. All right, well, you know what? Whenever we have, whenever we are able to do a live show, you're in the Imperial Japanese uniform. What? I'll, I'll, I'll cobble something together. I don't have one offhand, but well, I know, you, I, I know people. You just said you did. Well, not a World War II Imperial Japanese uniform or Shogun Dynasty type. Anyway, we're, we're getting off track. Well, there's the Phantom Whistler. Okay. Sailors have reported hearing a distinct whistling sound, especially at night. But when they go to investigate and find the source, they are never able to find it. That it's is always, so bizarre. It's always just over there. It's just over there. Whenever I remind my kid, my younger kids, hey, it's time for bed. It's just, just a, I'm almost at the end of this level. I'm almost... Just the chapter's almost over. It's just right. So that's, I get it. There is the Cursed Anchor. Cursed Anchor? Tell me about yeah. that. Well, there's an anchor on display. All Navy bases has an anchor on display. Okay. But this one is rumored to be cursed. According to the legend, sailors who have touched the anchor have experienced bad luck or, mis or misfortune. Some believe that the anchor may be tied to the spirits of sailors who have met tragic ends. That's wild. Do they have a little plaque there that says, do not touch? Because that might cut down on some bad luck. Well, anybody who might be stationed at San Diego Naval Base, let us know if there's a plaque on the yeah. anchor that says, do not touch. Because I'm sure if you're stationed there, you know exactly which anchor it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe an extended plaque that not only says do not touch, but like, or else all this stuff will happen. And then there's like an appendix of terrible events that have befallen sailors that have touched the anchor. I don't know. May not have a budget for a plaque that large, but <laughs> we'll see. So the last thing is hearing voices in empty rooms. People have reported hearing voices and conversations in empty rooms or corridors. And... They describe these voices as hushed and indistinct. Hmm. So imagine you're walking down a passageway and you hear some whispering in the room that you're about to come up to and you open the door and you look in and there's nobody there. That's, that would be unnerving, number one. I will be honest about that. I noticed that m most of the sounds that people have been hearing from a human origin are whispering. And I'm sure there was a drill sergeant somewhere in there, and I would expect at least one dude to be yelling, but I like indistinct yelling, but I don't know if there's just a limitation or something. Well, add to that whispering voices, the unexplained shadows. Yes, that's weird. That is so weird. You're the new guy, let's say. And you're like, whoa, did you see that shadow? And then somebody that's been there for 30 plus years is like, yeah, that happens. And then they're just over it. Like, yeah, it's just part of, it's part of the base. Get over it. Yeah. So we're going to talk about one more 
shipyard. Okay. One more I'm ready. military base. This I'm, I'm going to guess. Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, because we had an East Coast, we had a West Coast, we had a Hawaii. I'm guessing it's somewhere in the Gulf Coast. Maybe Mo, no, Pensacola, not Sarah. New Orleans. No. Okay. Mare Island, Naval okay. Shipyard. This is also in California, so we're still on the uh, West Coast. Okay. So this shipyard was established in 1854 and is one of the oldest naval shipyards in the United States. It was originally used for shipbuilding and repair during the era of wooden sailing ships. Wow. Throughout its history, it has contributed significantly to the military capabilities of the United States Navy. During both of the World Wars, it was a hub for construction, repair, and maintenance, and it supported the Pacific Fleet during World War II. In the 1950s, the shipyard shifted its focus towards nuclear submarines. And this is what has become known for its expertise in maintaining and repairing these nuclear-powered vessels. Wow. So this was a very important asset during the Cold War. Yeah, definitely. Now, there have been numerous reports from workers that describe sightings of phantom workers dressed in old naval uniform, working on ships, or walking the docks. Are they working on real ships, or like ghost ships, or just working generally? Working on the ships that are in the docks. Oh, dude, that would be freaky. Unless they're helping you, and you're like, you're supposed to fix it, and you sh- you wake up, and it's like, oh, my job's halfway done, this is fantastic. Hopefully they understand the technology to repair modern ships. Yeah, I, more than likely you were just sleepwalking. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's that explains the shoddy craftsmanship. I'm I'm terrible when I'm asleep. Now, let's go over to the officers club. All right. Visitors and staff have reported encountering shadowy figures, footsteps, and even the apparition of a woman in a white dress. Now, that's rare. Most of this stuff has been male like either visions or whispers, right? Yeah. Well, and an officer's club, especially during the early era, you're going to have women in there entertaining the officers. Yeah, that makes sense. Singers, singers, dancers, that sort of thing. Because back in the 40s and stuff, that was really big. Now, there are people who have claimed to see the ghost of Admiral David Farragut. Really? Yes. You know, remember what era he's from? I want to say Revolutionary War. No. No. I just know there's a street named Farragut that I've driven on many times. Hold on. Farragut. World War II? No. Right between, between them. Right between them. Civil War? Yes. Really? Yeah. And I'm sorry. I, I will say I did not do the homework that you assigned midweek of knowing all of my naval facts for the from the beginning of the inception of the US Navy until yesterday so I apologize yeah, I've well, let you down I mean, you have but it's okay well this just time will tell more, it just means more brig time yeah, well I, I will bring my books my my huge tomes of navy history so yeah, Civil War. 
Makes now, sense he, because that installation was built right before, right? 1954? Uh, it was originally built in... Uh, 1854, sorry. 1854, yes. Right. Wow. So they have reported seeing him in various areas on the base itself, including where his former residence was. That makes sense. Yeah. May, may, I wonder if they're watching him, like, brush his teeth and... You know, getting ready for bed where where his house used to be. Reading a paper and having a pipe. Maybe. As you do. Yeah. So, Building 46. This was a R&D building. And it has a big reputation for being haunted. There are the reports of disembodied voices, footsteps, and other, you know occurrences tapping on the shoulder maybe gold or cold spots i'm starting to detect a pattern with all of these hauntings <laughs> yes i mean hauntings are hauntings yes building 47 you said uh 46 46 good okay i almost went to the wrong building or avoided the wrong building i should say 46 yeah. and then eight at the other one okay i'm getting it down Places to not go. Now, there are also people who have reported seeing apparitions anywhere throughout the shipyard. They are, you know, often seen, again, walking the docks and in the, among the ships. And there is also a local legend about the hangman's tree. What? You looked up. Are you looking oh. for the tree? Yes, I was thinking of how big the tree must have been and where the tree is located. I don't know. I'm enraptured by all these stories and I'm visualizing them and maybe that's why I'm a little bit creeped out. I should stop visualizing all this stuff that you're saying. No, you should be. You should definitely be. Okay. So I'm picturing the tree. Now and this... it's, it's got to be a big one, right? Yes. This is where they're supposed to have been executions that have taken place. So there are reports that the tree is haunted. Maybe seeing ghostly apparitions of men swinging by the neck? Duh. That would be weird. Weird is too light of a word. That would be disturbing. Yes. So the naval shipyard is now decommissioned. You can actually go and see it. Any part of it right now, if you want it. Whoa. No way. Where, whereabouts in California is that? Is that like a San it's Francisco Island. Bay? Yeah, well, I don't know where that is. Is that off the coast of Los Angeles or San Francisco, maybe? It is Vallejo, California. Ah, okay. I thought you knew your... I was too busy cramming my U.S. Navy history, and I didn't get to my U.S. geography vis-a-vis naval installations. Mm. So that's All my right. bad. So if you go up, so if you're in San Francisco, you can take 80 across the bay to 580, and go up, keep going up to 80 again, and take 29, 237 South, and then take Walnut Avenue, and you can take that all the way down to Mare Island Naval Shipyard. Okay. 
Do you know exactly where you are now? I do. I do. And in fact, I did. I estimated it was probably around San Francisco just because I know the gold rush in 49 caused a lot of an influx of infrastructure to be built in that time frame. So that's in that general region and time span. So so that is where we're going to end it for today. We're going to do a part three because we still have submarines to talk about. No dang. Sorry for being so creeped out. No, it's absolutely fine. You're supposed to be creeped out. Okay, and we we get to do this again on and and tight enclosed spaces underwater. Whew. So, Christoph, would you like to take us out? Yes. So, number one, as always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We we depend on you to listen to it. Otherwise, we're just talking into the ether just to hear ourselves talk, and nobody wants to do that. We want to engage with you, and so. Uh, on that note, if you would like to send us a note, uh, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can email us at usnavyhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter slash X, or Twitter X. I'm not sure how to say it again, Sil. X Twitter. Yeah, it, I guess, yes, yeah, formerly Twitter. X Twitter. There we are. That's what I'll call it from now on. USNHistoryPod uh, is the handle. And if you want to be even more interactive than that, we have a Discord you can join. You can find that in the show notes. Uh, we're also on YouTube, so you can listen to us via that avenue. And wherever you listen, please make sure you rate us and leave a comment so we know what we're doing right, maybe what we're doing wrong, if anything. And, you know, just it's just great to hear from you. And with that, everybody, we're going to wish you fair winds and following seats. Bye. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing.